Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 91 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week it's Subversion, episode 18 of Stargate Universe. It aired last Friday on Sci-Fi Channel. This is the last one before the big two-part season finale. This is the setup. But we have a week off. We have two weeks to think about it, because there's no new episode on this Friday. I just got done watching this one a few minutes ago, and I loved it. This was a cool, cool episode for so many reasons. It's a neat show. There are a couple of surprises, and... A lot of dots connected. Exactly. Some good stuff with Telford connecting his dots and his backstory that I liked a lot. So before we get to that, how you been? I've been good. I had an overdose of Lost this weekend and am now gearing up yes. to head to Atlanta for Time Gate Con. Sweet. Which is going to be this coming weekend. And that's uh, May 28th to 30th at the Holiday Inn Select in Atlanta. Uh, Carmen Argenziano is the guest and I'm going to be interviewing him on stage. Awesome. Now this yeah. is a small fan convention, fan run. You're not just going as a as an attendee. You're actually on the special guest list, are you not? I am a special guest attending, so uh, it's going to be some fun. And this looks like it's a Stargate slash Doctor Who fan event. That's exactly what it is. Stargate and Doctor Who is definitely the main focus. Don't tell anybody that you've never watched Doctor Who. I haven't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to admit it because when people start talking to me about references and stuff, and I go, it's going to be pretty embarrassing. (laughs) All you have to do is say, I thought nobody could ever be better than Tom Baker until I saw David Tennant, and then you're in. Let me practice it. Hey, listen, I thought no one would be better than Tom Baker until I saw David Tennant, and then then you're in. And then they're off, and they're talking about (laughs) uh, David Tennant is for the next hour. All I know of Tom Baker is that he was a marsh wiggle. That's the only thing that I know. (laughs) I don't know what that means. You don't know what that means? No. That's a Chronicles of Narnia reference. Did he do the BBC production of Narnia? Yes. Silverchair. Oh, I had no idea. That's the only character that I ever knew him as. And if anybody lives in the Atlanta area and wants to go last minute, is there some sort of a website they might visit? TimeGateCon.org. Check it out. I may see you there. The main discussion. Subversion is the 18th episode of Stargate Universe Season 1, and once again, it is the setup for the season finale. That's going to air the first two weeks of June. Next week, there's no new episode because of Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., although it will air in Canada and the U.K., so that those guys are going to catch up to us and we'll all get to watch the finale together. My buddy Dean Newbery, he was talking about, they're such idiots, you know, why don't they air on Memorial Day weekend? I said, because it's a holiday. He says, but everyone's home. I'm like, no, everyone's, a lot of people are driving. He says, well, I'm not. I'm like, well, you're not normal. (laughs) (laughs) Or they're out in the back barbecuing. Even if they're home, there's only six people watching TV and only two of them are on cable. But Friday, generally speaking, I mean, people are either traveling or getting ready to receive guests. You know, so, I mean, I imagine... What do you you think? About 20% of the population does something with Memorial Day weekend, or do you think it's more than that? Oh, I don't know. Probably more than that. This is also a setup episode, but it's also a lot of... I think it's also a payoff episode. The the relationship with with Telford and Emily um, comes out. You know, we we finally see Young and Telford sitting over beer, so to speak, discussing it. 
and really discussing their dislike for one another, but we also learn a little bit more about their relationship originally. And it the, looks like they have some history together. They do. They used to be friends. Apparently. Which didn't necessarily come out in the first half of the season. I mean, it's been it's been a while. It's been nine episodes since life. In the first half of the season, you know, for all we know, they could have met on Icarus Space and, and just sort of had a working relationship for a while. But no, it looks like they were friends and they, they've had some serious history. Mm-hmm. Some kind of a falling out at some point. Perhaps around the time that uh, that Telford went undercover, we find out that he was undercover for what eight months, ten months. It was a while. I think a year. It was enough time to um, to convince him that the Lucian Alliance wasn't all that um, they appeared to be, and I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, discussing that. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Lucian Alliance. Um, Telford was undercover for it sounds like about a year. He was deep cover op. Uh, and he may be the guy that Daniel was talking about in Human uh, when he said that, that we had a, a source in the Lucian Alliance who helped us figure out how to find the Icarus planet. Yeah. Uh, that could have been Telford, so he could have been, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, in with the Lucian Alliance. But he seems to be a double agent. It's, um, again, when they attacked Icarus Space in the first episode of the series... We kind of thought that we had a spy, and maybe somebody on Destiny was a Lucian Alliance spy. It sounds like it's probably Telford. It's probably that our guy, that our spy in their midst, was, in fact, a turncoat. He sold his soul to get on that ship, and he didn't get on the ship. He jumped into an F-302 instead and started fighting them, which I thought was one of the strange things. You know, if if you really were working with them, wouldn't you have been eager to just, you know, get through that gate as quickly as you could? Because they presented the opportunity for you to do so. And that's why I never really suspected Telford, was because he was not in the right place to go through the gate. He was supposed to be the original team leader uh, if Rush's project worked and they managed to dial wherever the ninth chevron goes. uh, Earth, Homeworld Command, had picked Telford to lead the team through the gate. Uh, So he was supposed to be there. And... Yeah, if he knows the Lucian Alliance is coming and this is going to happen, then he should have not been in a fighter up yes. in the battle. He should yeah. have been ready to go. But at the same time, you know, he didn't know that Eli was going to pull the answer out of his back pocket. He didn't know that the gate was going to be successfully dialed. This is true. But we also learn uh, a little bit more about Telford and his, his uh, backstory and present story. Uh, it looks like he lives alone, probably. Yeah. Loved his house. And we get his first name. David. This is this is a big deal to me. Well, it's a big deal to you because he's got your name, right? Yes. <laughs> David Telford. But uh, it's a big deal to me, of course, because with uh, the website and all these uh, episode summaries that Sharon writes that we publish, all these references to Telford and, and the episode credits, I'm always citing him as Telford or Colonel Telford, and now it's official. It's been David it's Telford. been sort of off the record for for a while, but now it's canon. David Telford, and there's good reasons for that. These things actually change. His original name, when the producers were bouncing it around, was Zach, Zach Telford, and it apparently didn't get through clearance. Hmm. They had legal reasons for not being able to name the character that because you know they found some other Zach Telford somewhere in the world. So yeah, I don't understand legal. That's another discussion though. 
this um, mental bleed through. I like that. Uh, has happened once before with Emily, and that's how Young found out that Telford was sleeping with her when he wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I.e., when Young wasn't when when Young wasn't in his body. Yeah, it's it's coming back to haunt him again, and and Young gives an interesting theory that um, it's Telford. Be- it's it's happening because these are secrets that the person deep down wants to get out. Oh yeah, that he's depositing them in the other body. Yeah. Or trying to, or he's trying to get rid of them, because he does. He's embarrassed about them and doesn't want them, and so he literally copies them to the other person. Yeah, Matt was the first one who experienced it back in life, um, because he had traded bodies with Telford, and uh, it happened in a dream. So again, in the same the same thing, the episode opens with Doctor Rush having a dream and seeing Telford's experiences. Now, we speculated in the past that the reason why Telford had gone to Emily, Colonel Young's wife, and told her that Telford was still... I'm sorry, all these names, so hard to keep them straight. Yeah. And told her that Everett was still having an affair with TJ uh, was because he hadn't... He had gotten this bleed-through from, from Colonel Young, just like Scott got it from, from Telford. That's what I was thinking. Uh, otherwise, he's just lying. Because he doesn't know. He's got no clue as to what relationship is going on on Destiny between those two guys. Interesting. Um, other than the fact that he, uh, you know, he went there in Earth to Destiny and spent some time with TJ. But um, if he wasn't lying, you know, I kind of figured that he got some bleed through from Young. And we had seen Young thinking about TJ. We had seen Young you know, dreaming or having daydreams about kissing TJ. And again, this is something that he's guilty about, that he feels guilty about. Yeah. And so I thought that that's what was going on, that Telford was was getting bleed-through of Young's dreams or fantasies and then turning around and reporting it to his wife as fact. Isn't this, well, isn't this something that Telford would have mentioned in this episode, in this scene, when Young started accusing him? Yeah, this would have been the good, the good place for it to come out. Well, you're not the only one, and, and Matt's not the only one, and Rush isn't the only one. I saw some of your stuff. So there. Yeah. Yeah. Because now the theory really seems to be that Telford is the only one who's got this bleed-through, that it's only happening to people who connect with his mind, mm-hmm. which may be the case, yeah. What I thought when, when Young first started questioning him about this and saying, you know, there may be a good reason why this, you're the only one this is happening with, Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to talk about ra- brainwashing and about the fact that his brain has actually possibly been tampered with if he's been, been brainwashed with ghoul technology. By the Lucian Alliance. By the Lucian Alliance. You know, that's what, that's what Young says when he goes back to report to, to General O'Neill. And... Is that the ghoul have this technology. You know, you saw it firsthand. Um, I think he's probably talking about Zaytark stuff, isn't he? Yeah. So Nishto was used perhaps on Ryak and definitely on the team when they... Uh infiltrated Seth in the episode Seth and um, and Kiva mentions that they have this technology but Telford confirms or at least suggests unless he's under the influence of it he confirms that he hasn't been altered by it Um, Mm, or so he says and he may be he may be programmed to say that he may be programmed to cover them did you consider that yeah, and that's sort of a, a, a theory that I want to talk about later, maybe when we get to quibbles or something. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, I definitely have a theory about, about what's going on with Telford. Um, okay. But yeah, the Gould have all sorts of mind control technology. Um, Ball brainwashed Teal'c in Season 9 Stronghold. Uh, we don't necessarily he know. brainwashed the High Council. Yeah, yeah. I think using this little uh, little bug-looking device, if yeah. I'm remembering the episode right. So they have all sorts of ways. So it's entirely possible. But, you know, she mentions, Kiva mentions, uh, using a mind-altering agent on someone while they're plugged in through the ancient stone could be unpredictable. Um, which I think is a, is a way of, of excusing not using it to coerce someone. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, though. I th- and it also makes me really curious, hmm, what would happen if we did that? Might be a good story in that. I think it would affect whoever was connected to that body. Yeah, and then I, when they zap back into their own body, that person you know, is also, back to destiny, he'll, he'll be still, normal. Because he's still brainwashed when he goes back? Oh, he wouldn't be, because that body wasn't chemically manipulated. Ah, there you go. Okay, metaphysics of uh, body trading. Is it the consciousness that gets that gets altered, or is it the you know neurochemical synapses of the the host brain? Well, that's something that someone certainly needs to experiment on. Because <laughs> you would, I would like those questions to be answered. And and if I was depends using on those the things, method of brainwashing. Yeah, that's true too. That's definitely true. It is curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. If it's nishta, then it's obviously, you know, very physical. The chemical soaks into your cells. Mm-hmm. But if it's, you know, conversion by torture, like, uh, this like, is true. Uh, what's his name tried to do to Teal'c in season four? Conversion by torture, that, that, uh, that would, some of that would potentially go with you. The torture and conversion of Tyre uh, and the Wraith worshippers on Atlantis yes. is completely psychological. So Rush figures out uh, what's been going on here. He thinks that Telford has been selling out Earth and Earth's interests to the Lucian Alliance, uh, who have a handy-dandy Gould cargo ship with a cloaking device. Yeah, the Lucian Alliance is on Earth. Slip past Earth's sensors. It's nice to know that we have sensors. Daniel makes, I think Daniel's the one who makes mention of this, that we have some sort of a security perimeter because uh, we've had we've had guys visit Earth unauthorized oh, yeah. before, this is haven't a big we? Problem. We had, we had uh, the the free Jaffa working for Garrick do that in the uh, ex Deus Machina. And for all we know, the Gould are still at large on Earth, and they're just they're just really careful and really quiet. You know. Yeah, you got they're all the capitalists. Trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, capitalists. You got the trust, and you got whoever was working with Ball. Um, I think I think he sort of tried to get all the trust people when Ball was on Earth. Yeah. But this is a great plan. Rush is basically going to uh, going to trade bodies with with uh, Telford, Telford when Telford doesn't expect it, uh, and nobody knows that it's Rush inside of, of Telford. Right. He's going to go try and get to the bottom of this. He ditches his escort and gets a cab, goes to Telford's place. And it's not like breaking and entering. Well, I mean, it is, but it's not. <laughs> He breaks in. This is true. Yeah. Where Where are Telford's keys? That's Why a good. Rush that's a good point. Maybe that's a quibble. Why could Rush not find Telford's keys? I suspect that they're in a locker at the Pentagon. Yeah. That's a that's very fair it. point. You would You would want. I I think if if I was going to give my body to someone else, I would put my keys away. So he probably doesn't have the keys. Um, yeah. So he couldn't go to your house and look around if he wanted to. Damn it! To. I'm going to have to move all my keys from my paperclip container. <laughs> 
That hiding place is hosed. The most obvious place. Rush <laughs> figured that in five minutes. <laughs> and uh, Young hurries up and, and trades bodies of his own so he can go tell General O'Neill what's going on. Put a tail on Rush because we still suspect that Rush could be the spy himself. He may yeah. just be frustrating all of this. Yeah. Which I thought was very savvy of Young. Um, nice to see Jack as always. He looks like he's in uh, getting back into fighting form based on his, uh, his appearances at the beginning of the season. I thought he looked good. So then he suggests that we put a tail on Rush, and the tail is... Daniel. Daniel Jackson. Now, this I mean, is Jack- a show in the making. If Michael Shanks is looking for work, this is a, this is a Stargate spinoff in the making, because Daniel is uh, apparently Jack O'Neill's private right-hand Spy. go-to guy. <laughs> he's uh, you know living in Washington probably he's not necessarily uh, going on regular missions with SG-1 every week and he just gets these little black book assignments from Jack <laughs> don't you see a series in that? Uh, possible I don't think it'd last very long but yeah trying to track oh, down the, the trust the leftover remnants of the trust and the, the Lucian Alliance folks on Earth so we get a little Daniel sneaking around with his gigantic camera. Yeah, what a lens on that thing. I expected more. I don't know why. When we see uh, Daniel and Jack coming back for guest appearances, I guess I expect them to be a little more front and center. I didn't see that coming at all. I guess but because I'm not, really... I'm not looking, so I enjoy it yeah. when I get anything. I mean, they're not going to make it the Daniel Jackson hour. No. But, you know, his appearance in Human was very much to service the story of Rush, as it should have been. Um, but, you know, even when Jack goes to Destiny in this one, you know, he's got a couple of lines of dialogue, and basically Young is running the show. Maybe that's as it should be, but yeah. Jack's just sort of hanging out and saying, I think it's time for you to come clean, son. Yeah, he is. And there, there's a couple of beats where they get to play with the character a little bit, goes down the wrong hallway. It was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not the same old Jack, though. But, I mean, perhaps that's that's just as well. I would suspect that the reason that Young brought Jack on board and, and showed him off to Telford, you know, Jack doesn't really do much. I would suspect that Young was deliberately sort of, you know, he's demonstrating to Telford that he's got support, he's got, uh, support back home, that Jack has his back in what he's doing. Sticking him in a room, not charging him, you know, letting Greer beat the crap out of him, although he didn't really let him. No. Uh, Jack is bad. Telford is not going to be able to worm his way out of this and then go back to Jack and have Jack on his side. Yeah, and you know he wanted he wanted Telford to hear Jack say, you know, basically do whatever you need to do so that he would take the threat seriously, the threat of uh, of uh, evacuating all the air out of the room and, and killing him. And that's where the show ends. Interesting. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I think he's bluffing. What do you think? I don't think he has any intention of killing Rush, especially because, as far as we know, Rush did not give him permission to kill him. And we don't know what happens. I think he may go unconscious, uh, and there may be a a question of, uh, you know, what's going to happen if this guy dies? Where does Rush go? What what happens to either of them? Mm -hmm. He may die for a couple of minutes, but I don't think he's going to die permanently. Um, Yeah, he may lose consciousness, but... Yeah, I think Young is, is bluffing. I think that was the sort of the, the dog and pony show with Jack O'Neill. <laughs> Trotting him out to try and sell the bluff. Camille's rage 
at being cut out of the loop is palpable. And you kind of have to feel sorry for her because, you know, she's trying... This is... Rush is a civilian, and she's trying to stick up for him, and she physically trying to stick up for him, get to him, and it's not working. Uh, she that that door opens, and you see her POV, and Rush stares back at her, and, and Telford in Rush's body, and he's bloody, mm-hmm. and she's flipping out. And I respect her for for trying to get to the bottom of this, and the the military is just saying, sorry, you know, you're just gonna have to trust us. But yeah, when I'm the tables are turned, off. it doesn't work that way, because they're the ones with the guns. This is definitely a problem. Yeah, there's some interesting subtext going on here with the treatment of prisoners and torture and all these real-world issues. Uh, and I think it's great that we have Camille in here as this voice, even she's though she voice. gets completely stonewalled and doesn't get anywhere. She's standing in the hallway, you know, tearing panels off the wall yeah. because she doesn't like what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, especially with the real-world stuff that's that's gone on, that's... Yeah. That's a great thing for the show to have that POV in there, just raising the objection. And Matt caves to her. He fills her in at least a little bit. A little uh, bit, yeah. Without the permission of of his superior. And Matt, this, this seems to be, you know, the way that he goes about things is if he hasn't been told not to do something, you know, when it, when it gets down to it, he thinks that it's okay. As long as, I mean, with, like with taking the shuttle, as long as he hasn't been specifically told not to do something, he's going to do mm-hmm. it and not ask for permission first. Well, Young, I think, sort of uh, it gives him that example. I mean, that's the way that Young is behaving with his superiors. Yeah, this is true. He's sort of just doing what he thinks is right because they're out here a zillion light years from home, flying by the seat of their pants. He's doing what he thinks is right and... You know, take the consequences later. Or tell yeah. the consequences to go screw themselves. Yeah, it's uh interesting development for these characters. How about Greer? Um, he just wants to beat the crap out of uh, people. It, it sure seems that way. You know, it's particularly, I mean, with Telford, you know, he has a, a very good reason. And it's just like, I mean, if you don't have that dog on his leash, you know, he's going to go bite someone. You know, and then and then you have to release him. You know, if if he breaks free, you don't know what he's going to do, and it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. Greer has some major major issues. Yeah, Young pushes Telford to the breaking point early in the interrogation, and Telford goes after him, and the two start scrapping, and then Greer opens the door and beats the hell out of him. This is not just a a soldier whose job it is to break up a fight and to restrain the prisoner. He's not restraining the prisoner. He no. beat the crap out of him. Yeah. Yeah. He was waiting for a chance. He was waiting. For, it's exactly right. He was waiting for a chance. And I would not make him my third officer. You know, I would not. He is, I mean, as much as, as I care about the guy, you know, as, as, as Young clearly does in many of these scenes, I would not put him behind Scott because unless mm-hmm. you have that, that person on a leash, you know, if he breaks free, uh, I, I mean, he just, he just tears him up. He's out of control. Yeah, that's a good analogy. He's like a dog on a leash. And especially with someone who, you do not bring an animal near someone who has abused them severely. And this animal has emotional trauma because of it. If we want to take that analogy a little bit further. It is, it is unreasonable to put Greer 
as one of the people guarding that room outside. That's just asking for trouble. They're asking for it, and you see it. Now, I gotta say, as, as hard a time as I gave Lieutenant Scott for his leadership prowess, or lack thereof, in, uh, in Human and Lost, I gotta say, in this episode in particular, Colonel Young is not a very good leader. He mm. is, and I say that be- uh, largely because of the Camille stuff. He could stop and give her a sentence or two to yeah. work with. And instead he gives her... Yes, 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 no. You just have to trust me, brush off, walk away. Yeah, yeah. which uh, which explains, you know, she has, she has perfectly legitimate reason for being jaded and for saying to Greer, you know, this is the reason why we tried to take over the ship in the first place. You aren't talking to us. Yeah, it was that and just a couple of things that Young does over the course of, of the episode that, that make me think, this guy's... You know, in a lot of ways, Rush is right. He's the wrong man for the job. He's not yeah. He's not supposed to be there. He's kind of checked out. Poor guy. Poor guy. At some point, I would like to see Young... I mean, if he's going to be here for years, if SGU is going to go on for years, then, you know, maybe this guy needs an attitude adjustment at some point, don't you think? Well, this something's going to have to happen to him sooner or later. Either this baby comes and he starts to settle a little... Yeah. I, I don't know, but you know he he does little things that he he's thrown little things to the wind, which concerns me a little bit. You know, like drinking on duty. Uh, he says some things that I think Tom Paris from Voyager would have said. You know, we're in the Delta <laughs> Quadrant. Who's gonna care? You know, he yeah. he says that um, you know what we're we're billions of light years across the universe. You know, we can drink on duty. These bodies aren't gonna go. And the principle of the thing, he he's missing the principle of it. And that concerns me a little bit. I think Telford is right there. You know, you're on duty. Um, it's, it's little things like that that just make me go, I don't know. Yeah, well, they're, they're, really the right writers guy. are doing it very deliberately. Um, I, I, every time I see the group gathered together in the gate room and Young goes to, to, to speak to them, I want a little tiny inspirational speech. And they very deliberately do not write inspirational speeches for this guy. He gives necessary information, then he turns around and walks out of the room in an almost very cold way. Yeah. And it's very deliberate. I mean, that's who this guy is right now. That's the place that he's in. He's not um, Bill Adama. He's not, J- he's not Jack Shepard. Yeah. You know, this, this is where we are. I'm giving you the information that you need to know to survive. Take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's pure survival mode. So how about the Lucian Alliance? We haven't seen these guys for a while. They are in leather now. Yeah, looking good. They're looking very good. I, I've got to give my props to Valerie Halverson for designing these beautiful costumes. I love costumes that, that sound like make noise when you walk across the room in them. <laughs> and not a swish, swish noise. And pretty good acting. You notice Mike Dopood is back. I was thinking that he was... Yeah. I, I was thinking it was Odai Ventrell. Yeah, from Bounty. From Bounty, yes, and it's not. Won season 10 episode. It's, it's apparently not. I mean, he doesn't get a character named on screen. Uh, so. Yes, it's, uh, he does. He has a name, and I don't well, know. I saw it on I IMDb. It. Yes. I Is don't it? think it's on screen. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't checked the credits yet. But, it's uh, not it's, on screen. According, according to IMDb, it's Varro. Yeah. V R R O. I was really so. thinking it was Ventral because... That would have been cool. Yeah. Who was, who was Ventrell? 
for those of us just tuning in, who was Odai Ventrell? He was the bounty hunter who went after Cameron Mitchell at the high school uh, reunion. So he's sort of a, a bounty hunter, loose cannon. He's a, he's a freelancer, yeah. Freelancer in the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> just the sort of guy who might hook up with the Lucian Alliance. Yeah, I thought he was with the Lucian Alliance you know, at the time. So it, it made sense for me. When I saw him, I was like, you know, this is... This makes sense. This is Ventrell. And I was racking my brain. Did, did they kill him in the end? Did they let him go? And I think they let him go, so... Yeah, I can't remember. Mike but it would make, it would make a lot of sense. The fact that they didn't name him on screen, and he's coming back, uh, you know, for the, for the finale at least, and according to IMDb, he may be around for a little bit longer than that. Uh, it would make total sense that, you know, they haven't given his name as Varro yet. They might decide after we cast Mike, Mike Doppel that... Maybe he is Ventrell. Yeah. That would be cool. It would be. And he also played the uh, the runner. Yes, Kirik. Uh, in uh, Atlanta Season 5 episode Tracker. That's right. So he's a familiar face in the Vancouver acting scene. So Lucian Alliance, for those just joining our happy little Stargate family for SGU, who the frack are these guys? <laughs> they are a loose coalition of planets that have risen up to uh, take over the power vacuum left behind by the Gould. And they're not... So the that's why they have Gould technology, like this cargo they have ship. Technology. When the replicators were defeated, everyone ran out there in ships to grab the bigger ships. And that's what happened. I think that's the general idea. You know, they, the Gould? They, the, yeah, when, when the, the rep, Gould were killed by the replicators, the replicators took over the ships... Um, and then the wave came and killed everyone. Uh, that's when the Lucian Alliance stepped in and really became powerful. Um, they, they were around before then when the Gould started losing dominance because of the infighting. Uh, but the Lucian Alliance really took off after that when all that technology was left floating around the uh, galaxy. Yeah, and they were created by the writers as sort of a, a new bad guy, but not the main bad guy. For seasons 9 and 10, the last two years of Stargate SG-1, the main bad guys of, of the ongoing story arc was the Ori, these super-powerful aliens from another galaxy. Think... Meanwhile, in our own galaxy, we've got, we've got this problem, too. And the Lucian Alliance was, was a pretty serious... They weren't the main bad guys. They were kind of a thorn in the side for a couple of years. I think the argument can be made, though, that, you know, I mean, just like you were telling me with the replicators, reusing this um, this villain that didn't necessarily completely work out is kind of taking a risk, you know, and, and also in danger of retreading, of, of retreading old waters that, uh, yeah, that perhaps didn't say, work out very well. I would agree that in, in SG-1, the Lucian Alliance didn't work out, uh, maybe not as they were intended, in the sense that, that they weren't really perceived... I didn't perceive them as a great threat. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this on our SG-1 recap shows. In episodes like Off the Grid, the Lucian Alliance characters are almost comical. It's yeah. just SG-1 has been at this for so long, and they're, they're renowned across the galaxy. And they, I mean, even SG-1 being held captive by these Lucian Alliance, uh, you know, Casa crop growers, they have a hard time taking their captors seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like they, they raided a Harley-Davidson convention and, and grabbed, no offense to Harley-Davidson <laughs> fans, but I mean, that's, it feels like, I mean, it feels like we're fighting. Yeah, you know, and they're it, growing addictive space corn. There you go, addictive space, <laughs> oh gosh, it was fairly comical. I mean, it's, it's kind of Stargate meets you know, Sons of Anarchy, 
So, you know, that's that's the the vibe that I get and now we've got this this British speaking gal um you know introduced here nice body. Um interesting. I mean, she's the daughter of a warlord, Kiva. Not mm-hmm. not to be confused with Neva. Um and uh, or Kia. Kia. Is there do we have a character named Kia? No, that's a Korean made car. Ah. Well, well yeah. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. And cliffhanger, dun-dun-dun, just with no TBC at the end. Yeah, Kiva's character is nice because she's so smart. Uh, not just because she has the, the British accent. <laughs> does she Does she have a British accent in the episode? Oh, yeah. You uh, didn't notice that? I'm sure I did. I was paying attention to other things whenever she was on screen. Oh, okay. She's pretty. She is pretty. But um, she's smart, and she figures this out immediately. Um, obviously, you know, Rush didn't know the special code to use when he called in. Yeah. But, uh, but she still is smart as a whip, and she does not believe what he throws at her. She knows enough to f- that when she finds out who Rush is, she knows that um, this, this is the guy that we need to solve our uh, connection problems. And another Icarus type planet. You just knew that that was coming. You knew sooner or later we were going to have to find something. And yeah. you know when the the image comes up on screen of, of a planet and his equations, and he's like, "What's this?" I was thinking for a moment that they were actually going to fly to Langara. I was thinking for a moment that they may uh, actually do Langara, settle that settle for that so planet because the Lucian Alliance. We can't stop them if they want to go blow up a, a planet full of people. Now, that's not that something that we're going to do. But, yeah, um, I mean, we've talked about the fact that the the Nequadria uh, deposits in in uh, the planet Langara, which is Jonas Quinn's homeworld, uh, who's a regular on SG One in season six. They, they, we cut them off in the episode Fallout, but it's just a little explanation to say, you know, we've, we've or aerial scans, we figured out a way to to gain access to the Nequadria and tap into mm-hmm. it as a power source. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Well, so basically this is their plan. They found another Nequadria-rich planet, like the Icarus planet, that blew up in the first episode, which is what we need to dial the nine Chevron address and get to Destiny. Now, what's interesting is that she knows all about Destiny and its personnel. Mm -hmm. So Telford has continued to feed them information uh, up until the present. You know, she knows who rushes. She knows, you know, the name of the ship, Destiny. The two-part season finale is called Incursion, parts one and two. So there you go. Something is being incurred upon. My question going into that finale is, what does the Lucian Alliance plan to do when they get there? I mean, we got there by accident, but I mean, we're basically starving for food, water, Why do they want to go? We're fighting with each other. We can't gain access to the ship. It has no resources. Even if we could gain resources or access, we can't take them home. We can't make use of them. It's like go, it's like it? Ernest Littlefield going willingly to Heliopolis. What would be the point? Yeah. I mean, what do they think they're going to learn or accomplish? The, they have the, to have a plan. They have to know something. Yeah, and I really hope that, that Kiva and the Lucian Alliance have another ace or two up their sleeve. That maybe they've got something that we don't. Or no, like, knowledge. Yeah. About the ship. The last thing I want to say about the episode before Quibbles is the music was fantastic. Music was very good. Okay, anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. It's still in my head. Not because of you, but because it's awesome. Because of Joel Goldsmith and his team. Pitter-patter, um, pitter-patter. Very, very pitter-patter, intense. Pitter-patter. The intense stuff when, when Rush is trying to make contact with the Lucian Alliance and Daniel's following him around. That mm-hmm. little, little uh, you know, percussion-y beat. Synthesized yep. percussion stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's the sort of stuff that sticks with you. And that... I only... I only really consciously notice the music in SGU about every four or five episodes when mm. it's really outstanding, and this this was one of them. That pitter-patter has definitely been used throughout the entire season. Hello, my name is Evan. I'm calling in from Clarence, New York, and I've called in about three or four times now. Uh, I would like to talk about the episode Subversion. I thought it was the most SGU-1 or Atlantis-like episode so far in the series. It was good to see Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks again, and the fact that they made Colonel Telford a Lucian Alliance spy, I thought was interesting. He's always been an antagonist, but he's also always been on the good side, kind of, because he's still in the United States Air Force. But now that he's committed treason and totally switched over to the Lucian Alliance, you can now finally treat him as an enemy, and he can be hated. And I was glad to see him get the crap pounded out of him. I thought the cliffhanger at the end was almost Battlestar Galactica-like, because I'm sure, as most of you know, those cliffhangers were insane. Evan observes that Subversion feels like the most SG-1-like episode so far, and I've got to agree. There's, in addition to the presence of the Lucian Alliance and the cargo ship and, and uh, Jack and Daniel in here, this, this has sort of a nice... I mean, you know, it's, it's an Earth-based story, partially. Uh, one of the stories is taking place on Earth, but it's, it's with the... Mm-hmm. Familiar aliens and familiar characters. Hi Darren, hi David, Stefan from France. I'd like to comment on the last episode of Stargate Universe, called Subversion. It was a pretty good episode, but uh, kind of feel it was part of a three-parter episode and not two as uh, advertised by the channel. But it was okay. It was a good episode, but I felt like the use of Michael Shanks was not very good make him follow um, Dr. Rush, not not very great for an archaeologist. But on the other hand, great LDA. He, he had a great line, his humor is back, they know to write it. I hoped uh, in this episode that Rush was the bad guy, but well, we don't know, maybe, when, maybe next time. I also liked the return of the gold technology. As a great fan of SG-1, I loved the shot when, when we see the gold cargo ship flying in hyperspace. It was kind of mix and of new Stargate and old Stargate. One of the cool things that I noticed that I just loved that was like the perfect blend of SGU style and SG-1 was we see the cargo ship flying through hyperspace. Yeah, yeah, a neat hyperspace effect. that we have not seen forever. You know, we haven't seen a cargo ship forever. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Milky Way hyperspace forever. Uh, and we get them both together, a nice stationary fly past the camera like we saw on SG-1 a thousand times. And then you get this little SGU push on the camera. Into yeah, the, into the I noticed the that, yeah. That was rad. I love that. And the landscape with the pyramid, the, the apparently this, this temple was originally owned by Ra. Um, it has a lot of oh, signage. Uh-huh. Oh. Um. It, uh, that that is a cool cool location. It's time for quibbles. 
My one quibble at this point with this episode, which I really, I really enjoyed, and I had a hard time finding much of anything to quibble about, but it's brought up in the episode that Telford might not really be responsible for his actions. He could have been brainwashed by the Lucian Lance using Gould technology. Uh, at the end, when he confesses, he sort of turns on them and, and like, yeah, I did this, and I did it on purpose, and I think this was the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not really considered that he could still be under the influence of ghoul brainwashing. Um, he could be a Zaytark, or he could, he could be the victim of, of Ball's little, little gizmo, or whatever it was, uh, and still say these things and still react to Colonel Young this way. Just mm-hmm. because you admit what you've done and act like you're proud of it and you think it was the right thing doesn't mean that you're not under the alien influence. That definitely seems to be the intention, that he was not brainwashed, that, that he really did just... You know, he spent a year with the Lucian Alliance and decided that, I don't know, I want to see more and I want to hear more. You know, I want to see Telford with Kiva, with the Lucian mm-hmm. Alliance, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, to learn a little bit more about his motivation. You know, as a, as a hardcore career military guy on Earth, you know, in the United States Air Force, you know, I want to see what caused him to decide that the Lucian Alliance was, was the better side to to go with to root for hopefully we'll see that next year i know you're not colonel telford colonel telford doesn't have a scottish accent <laughs> i thought about that rush didn't if even was... he didn't even try he didn't even try i thought if they were going to have robert carlisle try and do like some sort of a of a american accent and telford has a very crisp clean i mean it's, there's no hispanic in it whatsoever he has a very crisp american accent and, you know, Kiva doesn't even blink. You know, we're just supposed to take it at face <laughs> value that, you know, even though we're hearing Rush talk Scottish and see Rush as a Scottish man, no, he's actually speaking straight English. No, this is something that he would have to physically do. Yeah. You train your mouth. You to me for your year. Exactly. But and I am David Telford. I am David Telford. Then why do you sound like someone else? Yeah, and then she's trying to figure out his identity. Could you be Lieutenant Scott? Dum dum dum. Yeah. Could you be <laughs> Colonel Young? Dum dum dum. Could you be? Is there anybody on Destiny with Scottish accent? Let me think. Oh yes. Doctor Rush. Dun dun dun. And that's Subversion from Ye Old GateWorld Podcast. For full coverage of this episode, head over to GateWorld.net, and you can find the complete transcript of the episode. You can find our photo gallery. You can find the high-quality screen capture gallery from Subversion. And uh, we'll have a summary coming along soon enough. And uh, more goodies. And as always, you can go over to GateWorld Forum and talk about this episode and every other episode with thousands of other Stargate fans from all over the world. Listen and mail. Hello, Gate World. This is Brian from Fort Lauderdale. I wanted to let you guys know the best way to access the Kino episodes is from the Stargate Wiki at stargate.wikia.com slash wiki slash Kino underscore webisodes. Or just go directly to the Stargate Wiki and uh, type in Kino Webisodes in the search. Well, next week, once again, we are taking a break from SGU. Sci-Fi Channel will be doing their usual Memorial Day weekend celebration. 
and not airing a new episode. So we're going to have open line night, which is your chance to give us a topic, ask us a question. Uh, could be related to SGU or SGA or SG1, anything Stargate-related, anything science fiction-related even. We would love to talk about it. So if you have a question or a topic, go ahead and give us a call on the podcast hotline. That number is 951-262-1647. And you can call any time, day or night. Just uh, leave us a message. Well, I wish that we could do a live call-in show, but uh, we don't have the technology or the time just yet. That's an interesting idea that some people have suggested because there oh, is really? technology out there. I know our friends at Airlock Alpha do live shows every once in a while. Yes. We could definitely do that for like the 100th episode bash. We could do something live. That would be fun. That's an idea. Yeah, that's a good idea for 100, which we're coming up on in just Two a months. couple of months. So our upcoming schedule is open line night for June 2nd. And then, of course, we'll come back here on June 9th and talk about Incursion Part 1. And then the season finale, Incursion Part 2, we'll talk about that in our June 16th show. Dun, dun, dun! Thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. Tune in again next week for more. And uh, give us a call on the hotline, please. Give us some interesting things to talk about. Or boring things to talk about. Whatever you want. If you want to be bored, we'll talk about boring things. Yeah. You can also email a brief audio recording if you don't want to call a U.S.-based phone number. Just send that to webmaster at gateworld.net in MP3 or WAV format, preferably. Some folks have said, you know, that they don't like to call in because their English isn't very good. They can only type. Have someone call in on your behalf. Let them know uh, what what you want them to say. And uh, yeah. just have them call in and uh, on behalf of you, and you know we'll play it. We'll play it on the air. And if you want links to anything that we talked about today, past characters or species or episodes, look for the episode ninety-one subversion show notes at GateWorld.net. That's it from GateWorld. This is Darren. This is David, and we'll see you back here again next week for more of the podcast. Mm-hmm.